book. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for um, the opportunity to read and reflect on your word. And we pray that your spirit uh, would come and visit our, our midst, Lord, that your spirit would come and visit our hearts and our minds now as we reflect on your word. Uh, speak through me, just the instrument of, of this scripture meditation, Father. Uh, and may you use even these words to touch all of our hearts and to draw us closer to you. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Each day, um, all of us are, are confronted with uh, decisions. We're confronted with big decisions. We're confronted with little decisions. Uh, big choices that we have to make about the direction of our lives. Some that we are aware of and some that we're unaware of. And the truth is, if we kind of looked back on our lives sometimes, we'd realize that sometimes it's not so much the big decisions that change the trajectory of our lives, but sometimes it's the little mundane decisions that we make day in and day out that sometimes kind of affect our lives in profound ways that we weren't even really expecting. Uh, recently, I read a book called The Other Westmore. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's been a popular book. I think it was a bestseller at some point. But uh, it tells a story about two young men, both of which grew up in Baltimore City, uh, just blocks from one another, and ironically, both of their names were Wes Moore. And uh, the book tells the story, it follows kind of the life story of both of these young men who both grew up in Baltimore City, just blocks away, named, named Wes Moore, and how their lives took very different paths. Uh, one Wes Moore, who actually wrote the book, uh, eventually went on to become a Rhodes Scholar. He was somehow involved in the Hopkins community, I'm not really sure. Uh, but he became a Rhodes, a Rhodes Scholar. He served in the military, was a military veteran. He is uh, considered to be one of the, uh, the most up-and-coming young businessmen. Uh, an incredibly successful young man uh, has accomplished amazing things at a very young age. The other Westmore had a very different path in life. In fact, the other Westmore is currently sitting uh, in uh, Jessup Prison, uh, serving a life sentence for a uh, convicted murder charge. And the book follows the story about both of these guys and how they grew up in Baltimore. And uh, the one Westmore that is a Rhodes Scholar goes all across the country talking about his book and sharing his story. And what he says is the number one question that he always gets about his life and about his story is what made it different for you than the other Wes Moore that grew up just blocks from you? And he always says that he wishes he had a really profound answer to that question as to why his life turned out so differently than the other Wes Moore's life. But, he, but what he says in reality is it often came down to very small, very mundane decisions that happened just day in and day out. When Peter woke up the particular morning in which the story that uh, Brooke just read happened, when Peter woke up that morning, he had no idea that he would have a profound encounter and ultimately a profound decision on his path for that day. Peter was a fisherman. Fishermen in Jesus' day were not very well thought of. They kind of operated on the margins or the fringes of society. Not many people cared very much for their opinion or for what they had to say. 
Uh, they would be a certain type of people that would wake up probably in the middle of the night or very early in the morning and would go out when nobody else was awake and would fish and try to, try to catch their fish for the day and then go on and sell them in the market. And that was Peter's day. Probably woke up very early in the morning, tried to have a catch of fish, was unsuccessful. But that particular day would prove to be incredibly unique for Peter. Because the story tells us that when Peter was wrapping up his fishing day, he observed that Jesus was on the shore and he was teaching large crowds. In fact, it says the crowd was so great that Jesus actually had to get inside of one of Peter's boats and had to put out from shore a couple of feet so that the crowd could see and hear what Jesus had to say. At this point in Jesus' ministry, anywhere he went, large crowds would flock to hear Jesus' teaching. They would, they would flock to see what he was going to do. The stories had gone out, uh, and many people wanted to see if it was true. So this was one of those instances. Jesus was being, uh, was being surrounded by a large crowd, so he gets in the boat, and he puts out into the water, and he begins teaching the people. And of course, uh, Peter is observing this whole sort of thing happen right in front of them. At the end of Jesus' teaching, uh, Jesus directs Simon to do something. He directs Simon to put out his nets to catch some fish. And at this point, Peter protests. After all, he is the expert. He is the fisherman. He knows when is an opportune time to fish and when is not an opportune time to fish. And he knew that this was the worst possible time to fish. And after an unsuccessful night, he knew that this spot was not a particularly good spot to fish. So he initially protested to Jesus and said, no, Jesus, we've, we've been doing this all night. This isn't going to work out. But for whatever reason, he chose to obey Jesus at that point, and he was absolutely overwhelmed by the surprise. In fact, the catch of fish was so great that they had to, their nets began to tear. They had to call in extra boats to come and to, uh, to catch all these fish. And of course, it said that the boats, now mind you, these, these boats were probably 20 to 30 feet in size. The boats were so full that they began to sink. And at this point, at this point, Peter realizes something very important. He realizes that this person that he is sharing a boat with at this moment is not a normal person. And when Peter realizes that, he, be, he makes a decision that ends up changing his entire life. You know, in, in some ways, all of us have to make a decision at some point in our lives about how we're going to handle this person of Jesus Christ. As we've seen over the past couple weeks in the book of Luke, Luke, that's Luke's number one question that he wants to answer throughout the entire gospel, is who is this person, Jesus? He was charged by a man, Theophilus, to, to write an orderly account to explain who this person Jesus was. And all throughout the book of Luke, we see that he begins to communicate and share this unfolding story about who this person of Jesus was. And he forces all of his readers and all who've read it, read it from, from the point of his writing to now to answer the question personally of who is Jesus and what does that mean for me? We've talked about how, how many people in our culture like to play a lot of middle ground when it comes to Jesus. They like to emulate certain things about his teaching, or they like to emulate certain things about his character, but they're unwilling sometimes to give their lives over to him. And one of the things Luke does not let us do about Jesus 
is he does not let us hold some sort of middle ground. Luke presents to us, this is Jesus, and you have to decide whether he is your Lord or whether he is not. And that is the decision that Peter was confronted with that very day at this miraculous, after this miraculous catch. Is Jesus going to be my Lord? Am I going to follow him? Am I going to devote my entire life to him? Or am I going to reject him and walk away? You see, there's three things that Peter had to realize in this encounter, that Peter did realize in this encounter, that made him make his decision. And the first realization was a very, very simple realization. He realized that the man that he was sharing this boat with was actually God himself. He was not just any old man. He was not a carpenter. He was not just a prophet. He was not just a teacher. But he was God himself who had took on skin and come to this earth. We know it from verse 8 because it says, When Simon Peter saw him, he fell down at Jesus' knees. In fact, what you realize is Peter kept addressing Jesus as master, but by the end he calls him Lord because he realizes the person that he's dealing with is not just a master, not just a rabbi, not just a teacher, but he is God himself. Many of you, uh, if you know me, have heard the funny story about a time when I was, um, I was with the kids uh, at the shopping mall up in Towson. And we walked into a particular store, and what I realized as soon as I walked in the store, I looked in the very back of the store, and I looked and saw that one of my favorite players on the Orioles team was in the back of the store with his wife, right? Now, what happened at that moment is, is, is the stuff of funny kind of legend, because what happened is I walked in the store, and I saw, I saw this Oriole. And I, you know, some people would get excited and walk up to him and want to talk to him. I froze like a nervous schoolgirl at a dance. I froze, you know, looking at this, at, at this guy. And, uh, and, and what, to make matters worse, not only did I, did I freeze, but I stared at him way longer than any man should stare at another man at a very inappropriate length. And he kind of smiled at me because he knew I knew who he was. And I kind of sheepishly smiled back. And then I just put my head down and went on shopping. And of course, my kids are coming alongside and tugging, let's go talk to him. No, 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 we're going to leave him alone. We're going to do all this sort of stuff. Uh, But the truth is, when I was in the presence of of what I believe to be uh, a person of greatness, I froze and couldn't react. Um, And the truth is, uh, when Peter experienced the catch, when Peter realized at one point that this was not any ordinary man, when he realized this was a miraculous catch and only God could have done that, it says he fell at Jesus' knee. Because when Jesus performed those miracles in Peter's midst, Peter realized that not only was he in the presence of greatness, But he was in the presence of God himself. Because only God could have done what had just happened. Only God could have brought those fish so much so that their nets were breaking. Only God could have done this. Only God could have manipulated the powers of nature and gone all against what we believe to be right and true. Only God could have done this. And that was Jesus' point. If you read the gospel, Jesus performed many miracles from healings to multiplying food to calming storms. And the point of all these was ultimately to reveal his identity. 
to say that he was God who has power over nature, who has power over creation. And when people realized he was God, it demanded a response. You know, the truth is, all of us as believers may know that Jesus is God. We may know that Jesus is Lord, and we may know that that should affect every area of our lives. Even if we've maybe followed Jesus from the, from the point of our birth, we know all that. But our, our sinful tendency, even in our own heart, is to compartmentalize God. Is to put him in a box or to put him in a shelf and say, well, you know, I know that Jesus is God and I know he says this sort of thing and he's going he's gonna, to, what he says applies to maybe this category of my life or that category of my life, but what Jesus has to say doesn't really apply to these other things that exist in my life. But what Peter realized that day is that Jesus, if Jesus was indeed God, and if he was indeed Lord, then that affected everything. Didn't affect just one category or one slice of his life. It didn't affect just uh, his worship or where he went on Sunday mornings. It affected everything. And it ended up changing everything about Peter's life. Because he recognized that this man Jesus was God. The second thing Peter realized, and he realized this very quickly is that Peter recognized, once he, once he saw that he was in the presence of God, the next thing he immediately recognized is the reality of his own sinfulness. He says immediately to Jesus in the boat, he says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I was reminded of another, when I thought about this, I was reminded of another, um, another Baltimore Orioles story. Uh, some of you know that I, that I coach in the Roland Park Baseball League, and there was one, there was one uh, event where all the, all the teams kind of get together at the very beginning of the season, and we get team pictures, and we distribute packets and all this sort of stuff, and, and do all the organization for the baseball league. And uh, one of the things I realized when I went to this event is I saw another former Baltimore Oriole at this event. And I, I didn't go talk to him again. I didn't freeze quite as badly as I did the time before, because he was retired, so... I didn't, I didn't freeze this time as much as I did before, but this time I noticed that he was there with his son, and his son was just about my age. And at that moment, as soon as I saw that and I realized that his son was in this league, you know what I wished? I wished, I wished as much as I could wish that his kid would not be on my team. I did not want the responsibility of coaching the son of a Baltimore Oriole shortstop. Why? Because I was afraid that all of my inadequacies and all of my inabilities and the fact that I really only fake coaching baseball would all be exposed when I had to teach drills with a Baltimore Oriole watching on as his son practiced on my team. Fortunately, he was not assigned to my team and uh, I made sure all my friends came when my kid's team played his kid's team, of course. But see, when I was in the presence of greatness, all of a sudden, my own kind of inadequacies and my inabilities and my lack of a con confidence in my own abilities all started to bubble up. And see, the truth is, when, when Peter realized that he was sharing this boat with God at this moment, not only did his inadequacies or his lack of confidence in his own abilities start to bubble up, but his own sin. He immediately became mindful, 
of his own sin and his own rebellion and the ways that, that he had lived contrary to God's will. He was overcome by his past. He was overcome by his past sins and failures and adequacies. And he was so overcome by that that he actually wanted Jesus to leave. He was frightened. And he asked Jesus to depart from him at that point. You know, the truth is, when we come to terms with the gospel of Jesus Christ, this sort of humility that Peter demonstrated at this point is a prerequisite for coming to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, at the very beginning, Peter was an expert, right? When Jesus said, cast your nets out, Peter was an expert. He, he, he was proud of his years of fishing. He was proud of his experience. He was proud of his kind of fisherman resume. But then when he realized God was in the boat, everything sort of changed. And what the gospel tells us is, is that when we approach God, uh, we, we approach God with our expertise, with our resume, with our experience. When we try to negotiate with God about our good works and, and hope and pray that they kind of outweigh our bad works, then the gospel doesn't really dig deep in our hearts. But when we approach God with our humility, when we approach him with our sin, when we approach him with our inadequacies and say, Jesus, there is nothing I have to offer you. At that point, we receive the grace of Jesus Christ. And that's what Peter recognized at that point. He approached God with his humility because for whatever reason, he understood what the gospel tells us. And that is that God doesn't meet us in our strength. He doesn't meet us in our expertise. He doesn't meet us in our in our uh, resume building process. He meets us in the deepest places of our weakness and the deepest places of our sin. The third thing that Peter recognized, first he recognized that Jesus was God, then he recognized that he was indeed a sinful man that was in need of God's grace. But ultimately what he recognized that day is that what was offered in Jesus had more value than anything else that this world had to offer. It says in verse 11, And when they had brought their boats to the land, they, Peter and his friends, left everything and followed him. They left everything and they followed him. Now, I don't know what your deepest desires are, but I'll, I'll let you into a little window of my soul. One of my deepest desires in life is to be a successful person. I think probably most of us feel that way. We feel a certain calling in our life, and we want to be very, very successful at that calling. We want to be well thought of. We want to be looked up to as really good in whatever particular calling we feel has been placed on our life. And of course, Peter wanted that as well. Peter believed himself to be an expert fisherman, and of course, he wanted to be a successful fisherman, right? However, this day, everything changed. Because Peter had just, think about it, Peter had just experienced the catch of his life. This was no doubt the most successful amount of fish Peter had ever caught in one day in his entire life. The catch was so big, his nets began to break. The catch was so big, he had to call friends from his shore to bring in their 20 to 30 foot boats. And they were filling those boats so much so that those boats were about to sink. This was the pinnacle of Peter's career. If I was Peter, I'd be thinking dollar signs. I'd be thinking about, I have finally arrived. I now will have all the admiration of all my peers. When am I going to sign my book deal on how and when to fish? 
because I have reached the top, I have reached the pinnacle of my career, I have arrived at where I've always desired to be professionally. But not Peter. The story tells us that he walked away from all of it because Jesus offered him something that was much better than the success and admiration of his friends. The monetary gain of this huge catch, Jesus offered him something better. Jesus says to Peter, from now on, you will be a fisher of men. And of course we know that Peter left it all. He left it all on the shore of the beach to follow Jesus because he saw saw more value in following Christ than in the greatest success of his career. Fast forward to Luke 18 when Jesus is confronted with a young man who all we know is a rich young ruler. He's a man that's amassed wealth. He's a man that's amassed success and money and all the things that come with his life. And then he encounters Jesus and has this life-giving conversation with Jesus. And Jesus says to the rich young man who's amassed all this wealth and the possessions, he says, leave everything and follow me. And tragically, the man saw more value in his possessions, the more value in his ability, in his resume, and his success, and he walked away from Jesus that day. He walked away from God himself, but not Peter. Peter saw something in Jesus' eyes that connected with his heart in such a way that he knew what Jesus was offering him that day was of far more infinite value than anything else that exists in our world. You see, Jesus had offered Peter not just the grace of the gospel, but a purpose a purpose and a meaning in life that was bigger than anything he'd ever experienced before. And, and Peter, by faith, chose to follow Christ that day. You know, the truth is, um, some people read these passages, they read the passage of the rich young, rich young ruler, and they think, what it means to follow Jesus means I have to walk away from everything. I have to say goodbye to my career and my 401k and all that sort of stuff. And Jesus may or may not ask you to do that, but I think what the heart of the gospel is, is this. Is that what Jesus asks us to do is to recognize, by his spirit working in us, to recognize that what we have in Jesus is far more valuable than anything else that this world has to offer us. And by faith, we embrace that gift of grace that comes in Jesus Christ that not only provides forgiveness of our sins, not only provides peace with the Father, but also provides the most deep sense of meaning and purpose in our lives that actually each and every one of us is really, truly desires. And all it takes is recognizing in faith that what we have in Jesus is of far more value than anything this world has to offer. But the gospel even takes it one more step beyond that. Because the gospel teaches that Christ didn't ask Peter and he doesn't ask us to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. Philippians 2 tells us this. It said that God desired and hungered for us so much that he gave up all the bliss and the wonder of heaven to be born into poverty, to be born into affliction, and to walk a path of rejection for his entire life here on this earth in order to secure a relationship with you and I. The gospel tells us 
that Jesus himself was willing to give up everything for you. He so desired to be in a relationship with you. He so hungered to express his love for you. He so desired to bring peace between us and the Father that he was willing to give up everything in order to secure a relationship with you and with I. 